My name is Mario Sierra. On today's show, we're interviewing Holly Bain, the CEO of Paramount Research Network. Holly, thanks so much for being here. Um, and let's get started with our first question. So what's your educational background and how'd you get started doing clinical research? So my educational background is I went to Mary Harden Baylor, graduated with a biology pre-dental pre-med degree on that track, intending to go to dental school and decided I didn't want to do any more school. I was done. So I uh, got into oncology research shortly after. Who did you work for? I worked for a CRO slash uh, oncology company called Ilex, mm -hmm. who uh, was then bought by Genzyme, I believe. What did uh, so Ilex was an oncology research company? Yes, they were oncology focused, but then the CRO side had um, different therapeutic areas they were working on. So uh, it was a good it was a good foundation for me. I was able to learn about osteoporosis studies. Uh, I was on oral cancer studies, uh, trying to think of some others, but uh, it was very broad. Mm. So that was good. What was uh, some of your favorite parts of working with Ilex? I really loved the travel. Mm. Um, and your role was, I'm sorry, what was your role? I was a CRA. Okay. What does that mean again, CRA? <laughs> Clinical Research Associate. Okay. So the people that travel around? Yes. Okay. So... And what I are also known as a monitor. Okay. So what I did was I had several sites for whatever study I was on. Um, I had several sites that I would go check up on uh, if we were already running the study or if we were launching a new study or a new site. I would make sure that they had everything they needed, go out and train people, train the nurses or the staff, whoever was going to do the study. Um, ensure reg docs were in place and get them get them rolling with everything and then from there I would collect data from the sites and bring it back in-house because these were paper mm -hmm. <laughs> so oh, yeah let's talk about that a little bit so research oh, has evolved um, in lots of ways from my understanding so what was research like on paper back in the day so back in the day <laughs> black when things were black and white um, no, uh, it was, you know, things were triplicate forms, and so... I don't think a lot of people would even know what triplicate <laughs> forms are. <laughs> Can you describe that a little I, bit? <laughs> am I making myself old? <laughs> um, all right, so it's uh, like carbon paper, I guess. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. the carbon paper. Yeah, so you write on the top copy, and it, it's like it's like and white trash copies, it, I yeah. guess. And it bleeds through, right, and then you get multiple yeah. copies. yeah. So then I would get a copy and the site would get a copy and the TMF or the trial master file would get a copy. So I would um, make sure that all the, all the documentation that they took down for the study, the data that they were taking down for the study um, on these case report forms or CRFs mm -hmm. um, were the same as the... Uh, as the original source documents or medical records for that patient, which was also paper. Ha ha. So how would fun. you how would you keep track of all this paper? So you said you were in a traveling role and you had to take all these documents from different sites. So how would you keep track of all that paperwork? 
uh very carefully mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah because if it's lost then it's oh, yeah. lost right? yeah right that's that's the that's the study data that's what that's what the pharma is paying millions of dollars for and so it needs to be correct and it needs to get there so um i would usually only go to one site per week mm-hmm. so that kind of helped um and then i would just bring it straight back in house usually on fridays and put it all into the system and then answer any queries that uh maybe the medical writers or the data management had mm-hmm. so um it was it was interesting it was really cool yeah um let's talk about the evolution then so it started in triplicate forms when you were traveling to sites and now it's evolved to e-source right where you can do things online right and how has that been so it's been interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> um i think starting with paper it's been hard to move over to e-source mainly um, because I was used to putting things, there's one case report form and now it feels like there are 60 different systems that you have to log into per study mm-hmm. um, to put the same data in over and over and over. So I think that uh, the replication's hard and, and making sure that, that everything that you put in there, uh, that coordinators put into the system, you know, is the same as it checks out with the source documents, which are also online or which are also e-files. Yeah, that makes sense. So you say a lot of the, so it used to go from site to source, and now there's multiple different sources you have to put things into. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And if you think about oncology patients, uh, I remember being um, locked in a little tiny room, <laughs> not locked in, but, you know, <laughs> felt like it at times, mm-hmm. uh, with these mountains of patient vials because they're huge. These patients have a lot going on. Um I remember working out at Arizona Cancer Center and I mean, just this round table and I would get headaches from reading so much, but you have to go through everything in this patient's file, you know, to make sure that they didn't miss something, you know, that should be on the CRF. Mm-hmm. So, and then reconciling everything that is in there. Yeah. Um, so that brings up a good point. Let's talk about a little bit of the process of getting a patient onto a trial. So. You were a monitor where you went around and looked at the patient binders. So can you tell us a little bit about how patients are enrolled in trials? Sure. Um, so I guess it, it that has also that aspect has also changed quite a bit now that we have social media and we have companies that are third parties that only do recruiting, you know, patient recruiting. And we have hundreds, maybe thousands of databases of um, patients mm-hmm. and data banks with uh, from foundations that have these patients in there that want to get on studies. And so I think it's a matter of, I think nowadays it's a matter of connecting, like thinking outside the box and connecting with maybe people that, that we didn't think about before. Mm-hmm. What models have worked for your business in Paramount Research Network? So one thing that uh, that has really worked well with a particular NASH study that we're on. What is NASH? I'm sorry. Uh, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Mm-hmm. So that's a disease of the liver. Of the liver. Okay. Yes. Cool. So a hepatologist 
or GI doctor would primarily be the PI on the study. What's a PI again? <laughs> I know there's a lot of acronyms in this in this industry that I know of. So there are there are. So the PI is the principal investigator. Mm -hmm. So currently for our NASH study, this liver study, we have a family practitioner that is serving as our PI. And so she's the main doctor and she sees the patients. Uh, she looks over eligibility. She looks over all the medical records, uh, does all of the physical exams. She sees each patient each time. Um, this would normally be a GI doctor, but we are, we're lucky, I guess, in that San Antonio has a ton of GI groups that are already involved with research. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to find GI specialists that want to work with research that aren't already involved or whose group isn't already involved. So... This has been really, it's been challenging, but it's kind of a cool challenge. Mm -hmm. But we've made it work, and the physician that is that we're working with to get patients, for the main part, is uh, a cardiologist because he's from a diabetes group that they're kind of a whole patient diabetes center downtown, and with nephrologists and uh, cardiologists, interventional cardiologists, everything you can think of but um and it's a smaller group but it's a complete system for a diabetic patient and so they have nothing they have nowhere to send these NASH patients they're obviously not going to treat them because there's no treatment for NASH as we know mm. so oh so this is a, like a state-of-the-art trial like there's there's nothing on the market for this right now yeah it's definitely it's definitely state-of-the-art and I think we're one of the last four or five we're working with one of the last four or five pharmas in the running for this NASH indication, the first treatment for this. So it's really pretty cool, you know, getting to be a part of that. So they've sent us, they've sent us many patients that uh, they thought could benefit from the study to be screened. And so we actually had a fiber scan that uh, EchoSense was awesome to let us have for a month. And so we, screened a ton a ton of patients 11 patients in one month like went through all of them and uh to see who was maybe eligible to move on to biopsy and so yeah so the cardiologist has worked really well the, that model of asking a referring physician to send us patients that could benefit that they're maybe not going to treat mm. you know otherwise yeah um can you tell me more about the business model that you use for prn um so i guess i guess uh, we can elaborate a little bit on traditional models versus the prn model which i which i know is very innovative sure so yeah that's a good question so the traditional model i think would be a physician shows interest in doing clinical research, uh, a clinical trial, maybe because he thinks that he could make money and that's the part he hears about and he thinks, how hard could this be? Mm -hmm. You know, I did this in medical school <laughs> and, um, but. Oh, do most doctors do research in medical school? Uh, yes, mm -hmm. but academic research is much different from industry research, which is what, what we work with. Mm -hmm with the big pharmas. 
with Pfizer and Allergan and uh, the CROs, Cineos and Acuvia. So we are able to take our physicians and insert a team of research professionals that it would take to to do a study, to, to follow a protocol. Uh, we embed that in their clinic. And so they are ready to go. We train everybody, make sure that everybody is uh, GCP, ICH, you know, uh, IATA trained so they can ship biologics, hazardous, mm-hmm. hazardous uh, materials, biologics, anyways. And then we start we start the study once we get the go-ahead from the IRB. We submit all of the reg documents. We do all of the contracts, uh, negotiations, the budgets. Uh, oh, so you run the research for the doctor. We really do, yeah. And we even we even do the handle the patient stipends. So why would you say that that model is better than the traditional model? What happens in the traditional model? I guess. Well, so looking back at the traditional model, what I don't want to say this happened every time, but it was commonplace is uh, you would see physicians actually walk up to the front desk of an office and pull out their checkbook and write a check to the patient for their patient's stipend. Wow. And it blows my mind that that still happens mm-hmm. <laughs> in this day and age. You know, when I can give my 15-year-old a debit card and just put money on it from an app, mm-hmm. you know? So why couldn't you do that with patients? So that's that's kind of the stuff that we're trying to not reinvent, but utilize, yeah. you know, bring into this sector. Bring this, it into the 21st century. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. it seems it seems so uh, exhausting, mm-hmm. the other model. Yeah. Um, you made a point earlier about staffing the clinics with research professionals. What are some examples of research professionals that are needed to run a study? So, of course, your main... Uh, your your main player in that would be your PI. Mm. And they do they have to be a doctor? So I guess there's a, a lot of controversy on that. Uh, I've heard that it could be a nurse practitioner with the or a or a physician assistant, mm. with, NP or PI, right? Mm. Or a or even a DNP. You know mm. now that uh, oh, yeah. there's a doctor. That's a new degree, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, but I've heard that the sub I has to be a physician. Mm. You know, MD. There has to be some doctor related to the the study. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But traditionally, we go with a board certified MD um, as a board certified physician or specialist as the PI. And then we get a sub I that hopefully is going to be a key player or integral part of the study somewhere along the way, like in some. Like right now, our NASH study, we're using a an interventional interventional radiologist. Um, so he does liver biopsies. Mm-hmm. And so very convenient for us that he can do the liver biopsies for our study, for the NASH study. So we try to we try to think ahead and integrate some of that stuff. So uh, somebody that we can use and not just grab somebody off the street. But they're trained, they're board certified. And then the next key player would be the coordinator, the study coordinator or site coordinator. Okay. So. Um, what is their role? What do they do? So they are going to oversee the study. So they're going to be sort of the, they're going to coordinate all aspects of 
conducting that trial at that site mm-hmm. for that physician. So they should know the flow of the clinic and be able to integrate work this study into the physician's schedule mm-hmm. easily and make it make it as seamless as they can make it get a flow going and sometimes that takes a while i think sure to integrate into the into the clinic you see you're saying right mm-hmm. right yeah i mean we've seen that for sure where it just you know every clinic is different it depends on the setup it depends on their uh, there are other staff, the clinic staff, mm-hmm. but and we the patient load, like right. there's lots of variables. Yeah. I could see that. Yes. And depends on the, the schedule of the physician, you know, um, some of them travel, some of them are just, right. some of them do surgery. Some of them like, yep. yeah, they have different hours. Yeah. I or if you're trying to see a patient on Saturdays, your lab better be open on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. Little small yeah. details. Yes. But they're big. They can be big problems and you have to, you really have to think ahead. Mm-hmm. And be proactive, I think. But this one has worked out well mm-hmm. um, for this clinic, for our clinics that we're we're seeing. It's sort of a like the Arosti model, I believe, where we can just basically implant our team of of trained professionals, and we say that it takes basically one hour a week mm-hmm. per study for the PI. That's how much time we estimate that he will need to dedicate Mm -hmm. he or she will need to dedicate to that study interesting yeah yeah um i want to transition to another type of question kind of more philosophical i guess oh boy uh (laughs) (laughs) why why would you say this work is important like what what motivates you to do this to do this work so i think there are several things that motivate me uh in this in this work i had a photography studio for 14 years and I loved owning my own business, Mm -hmm. but that was when my girls were growing up and I felt like I needed more and I needed to, it feels so good to give back and to be able to find ways to help the community. You know, one of the big political topics is healthcare, Mm -hmm. always healthcare. Absolutely. And so I think this work is important because we can... It's a very underutilized uh, sector that we just don't take advantage of. We're always hearing about how they're needing more patients for trials. Mm-hmm. And that's why trials take longer. Usually that's the hang up is under enrollment. They can't they can't recruit enough patients. But how are patients gonna hear about it? Mm-hmm. You know, unless we put the word out there, unless they know the benefits mm-hmm. that they could get. Ooh. That what? brings up that brings up a good question. So I know that there. What is it? One of the common tropes that people think about when they think about clinical research? Guinea like pigs. Guinea pigs. Oh, let's, I hate ta- it. let's talk about that. So Ugh. why do people think that they're guinea pigs, and how is that not true? Oh my gosh, I think they're they're thinking only about phase one trials. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that we need to talk about. I think is that there are different phases in the trials. Hasn't there been a lot of corruption in the past with, with for trials? Sure. And that's kind of oh, where that, for sure. where that idea comes from. Yes. Yes. And, and I think it put a bad taste in everybody's mouth mm-hmm. that, you know, using the, the vulnerable population, mm-hmm. which would be like prisoners or mm-hmm. homeless or mentally incapacitated or the uh, young or the young, mm-hmm. you know, children that taking advantage of those people, mm-hmm. Or people that don't fully consent mm-hmm. 
That's very important to go over consent and that patients know that they can stop doing a study at any time. Yeah, absolutely. They have the right. They don't even have to give a reason. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. But once you know that, people that, especially now I see we can... Um, we can follow people more closely, these patients. We can give, give them more specialized care for these individual diseases, mm -hmm. plus possible treatments. We give them liver biopsies, which otherwise, who knows how much that would cost. You know, I mean, that's thousands. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that don't have health insurance. There's Yeah. There's, yeah, it can be very costly for sure. Right, and a lot of times the patient will not uh, elect to do something even if it's a diagnostic procedure, a test, to find out what's going on with them. Because of the cost Because of them. insurance. Yeah. yeah, because if their insurance isn't going to pay for a certain place. Or high deductibles. Or, yeah, mm -hmm. so I think that can be changed, and our patients actually get paid, mm -hmm. you know, in money and <laughs> not monopoly They get money. paid in dollars. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, in actual U.S. dollars, <laughs> uh, not pesos. So why why exactly are they not guinea pigs though? Because so they that's a common trope of the past, but it's untrue because why it's would you untrue say? because they are they're not just uninformed. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Uninformed, vulnerable. That's what I see with guinea pigs, mm -hmm. and I also think about phase one trials where they are put in these trials and they're like take this pill, mm -hmm. see what happens tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know? But those are those are overnight studies and those are still your follow you have to follow the uh, the whole informed consent process. And there are people out there that have these groups of like let's make five thousand dollars a month off of just being in phase one studies or and they do it. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, if that's what they want to do, that's awesome. You know, otherwise sure. they go out and binge drink, so might as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to ask two kind of rapid fire questions just to oh, maybe joy. wrap up our, <laughs> our our conversation here. That's been awesome, Holly. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let's see. As one of my two final questions, um, so what are some things that are happening in clinical research that you're most excited about that are coming down the pipeline? So I'm really excited about these trends in the GI studies and oh and also the virtual trials oh yeah virtual trials so that's kind of a newish thing but our site has been certified to be a, a it's virtual ready so we can do these virtual trials which would involve remote monitoring and maybe a few patient visits not not in the office where the patient doesn't have to come in mm -hmm. or maybe off of devices. Wow, that seems yeah. cool. Yeah, very cool. I mean, if it's done Yeah, I've heard right. telemedicine is a, is a big trend happening too. So that's happening exactly. in clinical research too. That's really cool to know. Yeah, definitely, cool. definitely. And then as my final question, if there was one thing that you could do to improve the healthcare system right now, what would it be? Educate. Educate. Yeah, I think I would I would get the word out about trials because... People don't have the right message about this, and I think we can get it out there with social media, with this podcast, with just educate people. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for this conversation, Holly. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you, Mario.